Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Aren't we a little further along then? I thought we were starting around. I thought we'd do a quick over. Is this such a long chapter? Usually chapters in the Bhagavatam are 82 verses. So give a little quick overview of this chapter. Okay, so from, from verse 6 to 25, Narada Muni uh, is disclosed as the significance of the, the remaining part of the allegory, uh, one after another, which we've started studying, and including the summary of the five-hooded snake, the chariot, its horses, the four wheels, explaining Jara, old age, Javanaraj, fear, um, his brother, uh, Prajvara, pr- Prajvara uh, the fever that accompanies death, etc., um, and then, skipping a little, from 26 to 33, Narda gives this very direct description of material existence. And then from 34 to 41, he describes the soul's positive, so he, he described all the negative things that should lead to uh, des- uh, uh, encouragement for renunciation. And then in 34 to 41, he describes the positive devotional service, right? So he switches from detachment to bhakti. And then from 42 to 51, he ends, uh, he really puts an end to Prachini Barhisat's desire for fruitive activities and Vedic uh, rituals, right? And then, um, in text 56 to 59, there's this, uh, he, oh, wait, wait, sorry. 52 to 55, there's this, he tells another analogy, another allegory about the deer who has a hunter on one side and a tiger on the other side, right? And that's very instructive. And then from next, uh, from 56 to 59, he, uh, King Barhisat rejects fruit of activities and inquires about the transmigration of the soul. And then from 60 to 69, Narada Muni Tell, uh, replies and describes the transmigration of the soul. And then from 70 to 79, Narada Muni um, gives more detail about the mind's role in transmigration. Right? And then finally, the chapter ends with Narada Muni departing, the king renouncing his kingdom, and Maitreya Muni offering benediction. Okay? So, it was a lot, right? It's because it's a big chapter. So, let's start let me oops text number 14 take a minute for me to get there I have to scroll through uh, all the other verses okay text 14 the city called right that's the one yep uh, Gramaka which is approached through the lower gate of Asuri, the genital organ, is meant for sex, which is very pleasing to common men who are simply fools and rascals. The faculty of procreation is called Durmada, and the rectum is called Niriti. I think we read that last time, but Prabhupada writes that we are often asked why we have made our center in Vrindavan. From the external point of view, 
it can be concluded that Vrindavan has become denigrated due to the Sahajya activities. Yet from the spiritual point of view, Vrindavan is the only place where all these sinful persons can be rectified by means of taking birth in the forms of dogs, hogs, and monkeys. <laughs> Interesting. So next time you see a monkey in Vrindavan, be very respectful. Because right? it says, the, uh, uh, by living in Vrindavan as a dog, hog, or monkey, the living entity can be elevated to the spiritual world in his next life. So um, what's really happening here is a glorification of Vrindavan. Right? It's such a, uh, an amazing place. How many of you have been to Vrindavan? Okay, so it's a... Oh, that's right, you were there, Andy. Uh, yeah, because I lived there for t over 20 years. Um, it's a very mystical place in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you know, it's... it's the, the There's these places of Krishna's pastimes. Sometimes there's... You know, uh, they're, they're not kept very nicely and things like that. But if you can cut, pat, you know, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says that there's this thin covering of Adam, right, for, for, if, you know, for in our mundane eyes. And if we can pierce that, then we can get, we talked about this in the Bhakti Shastri class last week, then you can get so much benefit. And it really helps to uh, go to a holy, the holy places where Krishna performs pastime and then hear about that pastime in that holy place and especially from an um, advanced devotee who has some realization and has some understanding, some appreciation for that, that, that leela, that pastime. And then somehow the Dom kind of comes to life because it really is a, uh, it's, it's a replica of the spiritual world, not all the you know, um, plastic bags that are you know, in, all over the place and, and, uh, and the traffic jams that Friday outside of Krishnavala Mandir. But one, one has to see beyond that. I mean, it's easier if you go to a place like Govardhan, which is less developed, or Varshana, you know, an underground, an underground. But those will also one day, I'm sure, as Krishna consciousness becomes more popular, people will want to uh, be in those holy places. But there is, there is something. When I first moved there, there, not only was there no traffic jam, you'd maybe see one car a day. And really, there was only like one car existing, pretty much the ambassador. Sometimes there was a couple of other makes and miles, right? You lived in India at that time? And yeah. When did, when did you leave India to come to America? Ah. So, um, so Vrindavan has that special... So this is just like an example that even, even people who aren't such great sadhakas, if they... Uh, they, if they're in Vrindavan, they can take birth as an animal in the next life, and the next life after that become uh, uh, go back to the spiritual world. So one um, should be very respectful. <laughs> that doesn't mean you you feed the monkeys, because I have where I I have a house in Vrindavan, and monkeys congregate there all the time. They just, uh, uh, but I find that in terms of safety, if you just ignore them, they ignore you. You just kind of make believe they're not there. And you, you give off that vibe. But if you give off the vibe that you're scared, they pick up on it immediately. And of course, if you have any food in your hand, forget it. All bets are off. So, so really, uh, what I took out of this is that it's a real glorification of, of Vrindavan Dham. Did you have a good experience in Vrindavan? Yeah. Yes, those Goswami temples, yes. 
My favorite place is the courtyard of the Radha Temple, where Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur Samadhi is in Lokanath Goswami and um, Narottamadas Thakur. Yeah. And they've caged it all in, maybe not in the most beautiful way in the world, but uh, you don't get bothered by monkeys at all there. Those cages. So any thoughts about Vrindavan? Yes, Nandamukhi. He's, he's daydreaming about Vrindavan. You have to snap him out of it. Okay, Hare Krishna. I just have a question. What is the difference between Goloka and Gokula? No difference on the spiritual level, but Goloka is the planet and Gokula is here in, on this planet. Is that okay? So go, Gokula exists only here, not... Yeah, not so loka, loka means like planet, right? So Goloka Vrindavan. Yeah. Yes. Wait, wait. Is my, did I get that right? right. Uh, since you brought it up, I was wondering about the Goloka. It's in the upper uh, heavenly planets, right? No, it's beyond. The heavenly planets are still part of the one-fourth of the yeah. material world. But isn't there a range of planets up there... Uh, with Goloka, and that's the top one. There's the Vaikuntha planets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So those are exempt from uh, the cycle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah, the yeah. whole universe gets destroyed, they stay there. Yeah, yeah. So you can make your way up to like the lowest level planet up there, and still have a way to go before yeah, well, you get to Goloka, right? <laughs> yeah. The thing is that it, you know, in our we think a lot in terms of uh, higher and lower. Yeah, oh. But it's not like the people in the, the devotees on the Vaikuntha planet say, oh man, what a bummer. I'm here in Vaikuntha and I, you know, I'm not in Goloka. Darn, you know, I got gypped. You know, you know maybe if I perform some more austerities. Now, everyone in the spiritual world is happy. Is sort of yeah. satisfied, yeah. But it's true that by the gift of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, um, we have. It's really interesting, isn't it? You know, if you think about, at least if, I think if we're honest, at least I know if I'm honest, you know, I wasn't like some big spiritualist when I got born into a spiritual family. I was just like, a, you know, a slob from New York. And by coming in touch with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings about the highest planet in the spiritual world where, where Krishna performs his most loving pastimes, because Vaikuntha is permeated by the mood of awe and reverence. You know, and by, and, uh, Vrindavan is permeated by madhurya, by sweetness, by the, the sweet. The, what are the four extra characteristics of Brinda, of Vrindavan? Uh, Mandamuki was one of them. Do you know? Do you know? Anyone know? Yeah, the four extra or characteristics of Krishna over Narayan. Okay, beauty. Just one at a time. Beauty. Yeah, extraordinary beauty. His flute, yeah, very good. He doesn't play the flute in Vaikuntha. Yeah, it's all clarinet, trombone. No. <laughs> the, his devotees, yes, his devotees. There's one other one. Is it the cows? I don't think it's the cows. It's mentioned pastimes, yes, yes, very good, yes. Yeah, because his devotees, that's why we want to, that's why we're Rag Anuga. We follow in the footsteps of these devotees in Vrindavan who have rag, who are ragatmika devotees. That's on a very high level of Krishna consciousness. 
So they have this rag that even in, uh, is not there in uh, in Vaikuntha. And therefore, that Lord Chaitanya came to teach this to the world. Okay, anything else on Vrindavan? Nectar of devotion. Yep. Yep, right? Nectar of devotion, it's there. Yeah. You need to do Bhakti Shastra again. Yes. Okay, let's move on to uh, further afield. 15. So remember the context. The context of this up until 25 is uh, Narda's explaining this, you know, the significance of some of the allegory that he had already taught. Okay. When it is said that Paranjana goes to Vaishasha, uh, it is meant that he goes to hell. He is accompanied by Lubdaka, which is the working sense in the rectum. Formerly, I have also spoken of two blind associates. These associates should be understood to be the hands and legs. Being helped by the hands and legs, the living entity performs all kinds of work and moves hither and thither. The word Antapura refers to the heart. The word Visuchina, meaning going everywhere, indicates the mind. Anyone have that experience? The mind goes everywhere? <laughs> Within the mind, the living entity enjoys the effects of the modes of material nature. These effects sometimes cause illusion, sometimes satisfaction, and sometimes jubilation. This will be discussed more later on in this chapter. 17. Formerly, it was explained that the queen is one's intelligence. While one is awake or asleep, that intelligence creates different situations. Being influenced by contaminated intelligence, the living entity envisions something uh, and simply imitates the actions and reactions of his intelligence. Ardamuni continued, What I referred to as the chariot was in actuality the body. The senses are the horses that pull the chariot. As time passes year after year, these horses run without obstruction, but in fact they make no progress. Pious and impious activities are the two wheels of the chariot. The three modes of material nature are the chariot's flags. The five types of life air constitute the living entity's bondage, and the mind is considered to be the rope. Intelligence is a chariot driver. The heart is a sitting place in the chariot, and the dualities of life, such as pleasure and pain, are the nodding place. The seven elements are the coverings of the chariot, and the working senses are the five external processes. The eleven senses are soldiers, being engrossed in sense enjoyment, the living entity, seated on the chariot, hankers after fulfillment of his false desires and runs after sense enjoyment, life after life. We're going till 25, right? The next verse. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oops, 19, 20. That was one I want to talk about. Um, yes. So Prabhupada writes here, even if one is promoted to Brahmaloka, the highest planet in this universe. That's, uh, Andy, that's still this universe. Okay? He has to come down again to the lower planetary systems. Thus he is wandering up and down perpetually under the influence of the three modes of material nature. And then uh, being illusioned, he thinks he is making progress. Now, this is a very interesting uh, analogy Prabhupada gives. He is like an airplane circling the earth day and night, incapable of leaving the earth's gravitational field. Factually, there is no progress because the airplane is conditioned by the Earth's gravity. So, the three modes of material nature are compared to the gravity. Right? We're all, 
it, right? The gravity keeps us down, right? Keeps us on this earth. So similarly, the three modes of material nature keep us down uh, in, in, in the material world. <clears throat> and I don't think on a day-to-day -day basis we, we, we consciously think like this because, you know, it seems like our life is kind of long and one day is the same as the day before. But, but here, we're trying to open up our vision and see that actually we're on this roller coaster ride and we've had so many different births. And this is just one of so many. And still we think, you know, that, that, that I got my car stolen is like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> right? Or whatever. So I think this is just, it's just a, uh, may, just two sentences of Srila Prabhupada. Even as one is promoted, even if you go to the highest, you have to come down to the lowest. Therefore, we're perpetually wandering up and down under the influence of the modes. Just like an airplane that just keeps circling around. And I guess if, you, if it goes at the right speed, it never sees night or it never sees day, depending on when it took off, right? If, if it actually was able to. Of course, it needs fuel. But, um, but it's like it doesn't break through the atmosphere and because of gravity. And so similarly, um, the modes are keeping us down. So Prabhupada here is really opening up our eyes to a different and a much expanded sense of reality. Thoughts on this? I just thought it was very cool the way he explains it. Yeah. It, it, it looks like um, the more I identify with the, the material existence, that's when these things happen. But if I, I don't identify myself with that, but rather identify myself on the spiritual level, then it becomes easier to overcome that uh, tendency. Yeah. Well, you brought up the whole problem in a nutshell. is identity. Use the word identify, right? Identity is the whole issue. If we identify as Krishna's servant then there's a whole package that comes along with that, right? I'm not this body, this is one lifetime. If I, if I, could if I can um, be responsible and devotional, I can no more material bodies, you know, there's a whole, right? But if we identify as being Indian or American or woman or man or, or whatever, um, and that's our main focus, then we, the gravity <laughs> is, is working on us, yeah. So identity is really, ultimately, our, we've talked about this so many times, our sadhana is really there to help us change our, our identity, who we think we are. And the way, and then the main sadhana is hearing and chanting, because you might, so what happens is, I, at least what happens to me, I read this, and I remember it for an hour or two, and then I forget, right, and I go back on the bottom. So that's why hearing and chanting regularly, nityam bhagavata sevaya, has to be done to keep us remembering Right, because it's uh, yeah, it, we are forgetful by nature, by our conditioned nature. Other thoughts? All right, shall we continue? Next stop on this chat. Oh wait, was there something else I wanted to say here? Um, oh yeah, there were a few things. Because 
I love this this purport uh, in uh, the first canto of the Bhagavatam because it talks about you know getting out of that orbit. So Prabhupada writes, the need of the spirit soul is that he wants to get out of the limited sphere of material bondage and fulfill his desire for complete freedom. He wants to get out of the covered walls of the greater universe. He wants to see the free light and the spirit. That complete freedom is achieved when he meets the complete spirit, the personality of Godhead. There is a dormant affection for God within everyone. Spiritual existence is manifested through the gross body and mind in the form of perverted affection for gross and subtle matter. Therefore, we have to engage ourselves in occupational engagements that will evoke our divine consciousness. This is possible only by hearing and chanting the divine activities of the Supreme Lord. And any occupational activity which does not help one to achieve attachment for hearing and chanting is said to hear and be simply a waste of time. Isn't that a powerful purport, huh? Yes. And also, I, for some reason, I always remember this also from the second canto, because Prabhupada's talking about orbiting here, and this is a different kind of orbit he talks about uh, in the second canto. Our so-called friends, relatives, and wives and children are not only fallible, but also bewildered by the outward glamour of material existence. As such, they cannot save us. <coughs> Still, we think that we are safe within the orbit of family, society, and country. <laughs> so... So if you, you, know, you just think, you know, next time you know you go to a shopping center, you see people, you just see them, they're kind of orbiting. Everyone, we're all orbiting in our small existence. And what the Bhagavatam and Guru and Krishna are trying to do is much broaden our, our view of the world and our compassion for all people and, and seeing all people as brother and sisters and, you know, instead of like just orbiting around this, you know, little existence that we have but so so much of Krishna consciousness that broadening of vision okay any thoughts on either of those quotes <coughs> yes Maha Mantra Prabhu in the purport the, have you seen the free light in the spirit <laughs> trying to um, in the purport says the living entity struggles very hard due to the influence of fruitive activity and mental speculation. Karma and jnana, yes. Oh, okay. So sometimes I tend to think like, oh, at this moment. At this moment? What will be Krishna doing? You know, just like What's that. Krishna doing? Yeah, yeah, you can find out. There's uh, <laughs> books that say Govinda Lilamrita and places they tell about Krishna, Asta Kaliya Lila. I think that's brought up here in one of these purports. But is that mental speculation? Is that mental speculation? No, because you're hearing from the Acharyas, you're hearing from Shastra. Mental speculation, in this case, what Prabhupada's referring to is... is Gyan. Gyan and, and primarily... Yeah, Gyan at, at the best and Mayavad at the worst. Right? But the point he, that is implicit is in that statement, but not said, is that the only real source of happiness is, is in our love for Krishna right. and bhakti. Mm -hmm. And therefore, things other than that, there's no real juice. I think we've experienced that. Yeah. If, like, 
some of these statements by, uh, by Nard at the Pracini Barisat, some that we've read and more that we're going to read as time allows today, so much about detachment from this world, right? And how the place of suffering and everyone's got to die. And, and you know, the, we're going to hear the example of the deer who had, on one, over here is the hunter and over there is the tiger. <laughs> and Nard says that's everyone's situation. So I think we intellectually can really understand that and grasp that, right? But to really remain, to, but to actually practice real renunciation, you have to add, you need Krishna's help. Especially in Kali Yuga, my God, who can really be renounced, right? Without a heart, without something much more pleasurable. So, this is, so part of what Narada is doing here is he's setting him up for the bhakti. Right, by giving him some detachment, but it's and so we speak, we preach a lot about gyan, right? The yeah. beginning, you know, you're not your body and things like that. But we also add chanting Hare Krishna, developing your love for the divine couple and all that, because that's actually where the strength to do things comes from. Is that right? Anything else? Okay, shall we carry on? So the next stop is, I feel like because it's such a big chapter, the next stop is like 29, right? So this section goes on until 25, where he's still explaining the allegory. What was previously explained as Chandavega, powerful time, is covered in, by days and nights, named Gandharvas and Gandharvis. The body's lifespan is gradually reduced by the passage of days and nights which number 360. What was described as kalakanya should be understood as old age. No one wants to accept old age, but Yavaneshwara, Yavanaraj, who is death, accepts Jara, old age, as his sister. Nobody wants to accept it, right? How many of you uh, dealt with um, aging parents? Isn't it a challenge? Especially if they—I don't know—you know how old they are and stuff. But you know, it's—it's. It's, uh, my wife actually went to two. The, the life of a temple president is sometimes funerals, uh, marriages, and uh, what else? Uh, illnesses. What? Childbirth. Yeah, and childbirth. You know, she has to go to all these. So she went to two funerals today, uh, this past week, and one of them was of a, both devotees, uh, but one of them was this uh, very elderly woman who just. Even her husband was just kind of waiting for her to die because she, you know, just was not was suffering so much. Her body was, yeah. Um, and we see that, but we don't fully put ourselves in those situations, thinking that that, like Prabhupada said, this too will happen to you one day, right? Um, yeah. The followers of Yavaneshwara, Yamaraj, are called the soldiers of death, and they are known as the various types of disturbances that pertain to the body and mind. Uh, Prajpara represents the two types of fever, extreme heat and extreme cold, typhoid and pneumonia. The living entity lying down within the body is disturbed by many tribulations pertaining to providence, to other living entities, and to his own body and mind. Those are the threefold miseries. Despite all kinds of tribulations, the living entity is subjected to the necessities of the body, mind, and senses, and suffering from various types of disease, is carried away by many plans due to his lust to enjoy the world. Although transcendental, 
to the material existence, the living entity out of ignorance accepts all these material miseries under the pretext of false egotism, I and mine. In this way, he lives for a hundred years within the body. So that's that section. And now the next section is Narada Muni uh, directly, not using the a uh, allegory anymore, now directly talking about the, the ills of material life. The living entity by nature has minute independence to choose his own good or bad fortune. But when he forgets his supreme master, the personality of Godhead, he gives himself up to the modes of material nature. Those are our two choices, basically. Being influenced by the modes of material nature, he identifies himself with the body, and for the interests of the body, becomes attached to various activities. Sometimes he is under the influence of the mode of ignorance, sometimes the mode of passion, and sometimes the mode of goodness. The living entity thus gets different types of bodies under the modes of material nature. So the, the, you see how this is like direct preaching, so to speak, right? Those who are situated in the mode of goodness are piously, are pious, act piously according to Vedic injunctions. Thus they are elevated to the higher planetary systems where the demigods live. Those who are influenced by the mode of passion engage in various types of productive activities in the planetary systems where human beings live. Similarly, those influenced by the mode of darkness are subjected to various types of miseries and live in the animal kingdom. And then text 29. Covered by the mode of ignorance in material nature, uh, the living entity is sometimes a male, sometimes a female, sometimes a eunuch, sometimes a human being, sometimes a demigod, sometimes a bird, sometimes an animal, and so on. In this way, he is wandering within the material world. His acceptance of different types of bodies is brought about by his activities under the influence of the modes of material nature. And Prabhupada writes in the purport that as servants of Maya, he sometimes becomes a king, sometimes an ordinary citizen, sometimes a brahmana, a sudra, and so on. Sometimes he is a happy man, sometimes a prosperous man, sometimes a small insect. <laughs> he went from uh, happy to prosperous to insect. That's <laughs> quite a... Uh, Jump. Sometimes he is in heaven, sometimes in hell. Sometimes he's a demigod, sometimes he's a demon. Sometimes he's a servant, sometimes he's a master. In this way, the living entity wanders all over the universe, or we could say we wander all over the universe. Only when he comes in contact with a bona fide spiritual master can he understand his real constitutional position. He then becomes disgusted with material existence. At that time, in full Krishna consciousness, he regrets his past experiences in material existence. This regret is very beneficial because it purifies the living entity of material conditioned life. He then prays to the Lord to engage in his service, and at that time, Krishna grants liberation from the clutches of Maya. So first of all, very poetic, right? Prabhupada's uh, this and this, you know, just kind of in a few sentences giving us a, an idea of our wanderings in this material world. Um, and then he brings up this point about regret, that a sincere person, and I think we talked about this maybe a month ago, feels some regret. What were some examples from the Shastra of people feeling regret? Juve Maharaj, yes, I was, uh, I was uh, looking for broken glass and I was given a diamond, yeah. Indra and Brahma, yeah, yeah. Indra feels regret often, right? You talked about that, yeah. Ajamila, Ajamila, yeah. Very good. 
Yeah. How about in your own life? Have you ever had this experience of uh, maybe doing something that's not so great and then either hearing about it from Shastra or just realizing that it wasn't so great and feeling regretful? Yeah? You've had that experience. What was their regret? Uh, yeah, 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 right, right, right. Yes, very good. Yes, yeah. Jagai Made. Jagai Made, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a sign of a sincere soul to feel regret when they make a boo-boo or commit a sinful activity or whatever, right? The idea is to not make the same mistake twice. Right. That's, the, that's the hope. So I thought that was interesting, these two points here about, first of all, this very kind of poetic way Prabhupada explains our wanderings, and then this point about, um, about regret. Prabhupada would also write elsewhere that it's a, it's a sign of a sincere person, and I believe that it's an impetus to correct our behavior. I was thinking recently, uh, just yesterday, that... Of course, we, you know, we get our values so much from um, Prabhupada, from our spiritual master, from the Shastra. Um, I think it's still helpful, I did this last night, to write down my values in life. What do I value? I found it to be quite a uh, good exercise, reflective. Of course, I'm obviously reflecting on things I've heard from authorities, but also trying to make it personal that this is... My values. I mean, I see sometimes even people at work, um, well, not even people, people at work, and I, some really cool people who I work with, and you know, they really do live by their values. They may not be Krishna conscious values, but they really do walk their talk. You know, I have my, my, my supervisor, my boss, is, um, he's very into, he, um, he's very concerned about the planet. So he has an electric car. He just put um, uh, solar panels on his house. And he was all excited the other day because he, you know, he's really a techie also. So he found out that his house was, um, uh, didn't have to take any electricity from the grid that day because even though it was a winter, there was a lot of sun. He was like in ecstasy. You know? so, in that, so in that sense, he kind of walks his talk. So we, uh, but I think a precursor, to, or at least something I found helpful last night, um, is to think about what my talk is. You know what I mean? What, what, what do I really value in life? I made a little kind of bullet points that and I'm sure I'll add some things, merge some things, subtract some things, you know, like that. <clears throat> Anything else on regret? Yeah. Are you grabbing that? Yeah. Um, bro, so, something is troubling me since last week uh, about this enjoying tendency. Enjoying tendency? Yeah. Even in the realm of devotional surveys, like say for example, nice prasadam, uh, what I'm finding in myself is like I'm really enjoying the taste. Okay. So I feel something is not right there, but I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> so you'd rather have like, you know, really like bland? That's not the thing either. Yeah, that's, where, that's what is the confusion. Well, if that's your biggest problem in life, yeah. uh, no, pretty no, no. good. But the tendency might be the biggest problem, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Let's try to, let's try to uh, add something positive instead of subtract something negative. So the positive thing may be to say the prayer before prasadam with more consciousness and more attentiveness, meditating on the meaning and, and making it more like a prayer so that it does become prasad seva rather than just tongue seva. Right, so that, that's I think the positive thing that we can do. I remember I was with uh, I was at a friend's house in Dallas maybe a year ago, and taking prasadam with Ritavrita Swami, and he just did this really intense, you know, devotional Shariravijjal, and I felt like such a louse because I'm usually like you know Shariravijjal, Premier Coach, and Thai, you know, <laughs> what's he? <laughs> uh, you know, try to get through it as quickly as possible. <laughs> you know. Uh, but he, but I really, I regretted actually <laughs> my consciousness because I could see how he was um, taking prasadam with such devotion. It's it's a little harder at uh, when we live at home, right? Because naturally, you know, we're cooking things that are going to be hopefully healthy, and that, you know, uh, if we're cooking for our children, we want to cook something that they're going to eat, right? Right. So, uh, you, whereas at a temple, there's a set menu, and it's clearly for Krishna's pleasure, right? And even even when you know you're carrying, if you had to, let's say the kitchen was over here, right? If you're carrying the plates, you cover them, right? So no one's like, oh, what's Krishna got to, you know, you know, start salivating over the boga, right? But I think let's let's take it from a positive point of view. How's that sound? To be more devotional and also. If we do get, you know, rice and dal for the next two weeks, Krishna's mercy. Yes, Gurdas. Hare Krishna. Um, on the subject, the most consistent regret that comes to my mind every day is I wish I could be better. I wish I could do it better. I gave you, I gave the offering or whatever it was, whatever I could, but That's I good. wish I could be better. That's nice. As long as we don't, we don't get uh, mental about it. You know what I mean? Because humility, as we know, as we've said so many times, it's not, what's that saying? It's not thinking uh, less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. <laughs> right? So, as long as we're trying to do things for Krishna's pleasure, we'll always feel that we've come a little short. But we can also say to ourselves, well, I gave it a valiant effort and let me do better tomorrow. Kind of keep things a little upbeat and positive because I'm not talking about you particularly, Prabhu, but um, the mind can get, can trick us almost into depression or, or at least negativity. Um, that's, you know, the mind can trick us in so many different ways. So one thing is to just, uh, I think, Prabhupada really presented a very positive. Don't don't reject, don't reject, 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 but add, add, add. Right? Yeah. And then tolerate, tolerate, tolerate. I was just thinking, Prabhuji, uh, Prabhuji just walked in. I was thinking, because uh, I lived in Michigan when I was doing book distribution. And, you know, it was like, 
20 degrees, 10 degrees, the, the wind's all, you know, the snow's all falling horizontally, you know. And the mind is like, I don't want to get out of this van right now and go shoot <laughs> But you just do it. It was actually really helpful, you know, to, to train the mind to neglect uh, pleasures and pain. And the thing was that after, you know, the, str the hardest part was opening the door. Not because the door was frozen, just because I didn't want to leave. But after about five minutes, it was, I was like so happy. Except one time, it was so cold that we, I just said, forget it. We got in the van and we drove to Florida and just did the Christmas marathon in Orlando <laughs> in our shorts. You know? <laughs> Let's just do that once. Okay, shall we continue? All right, so we're still... So the next stop uh, is verse 33, which is the last part of this section. <clears throat> so uh, text 30 and 31. The living entity is exactly like a dog. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Who overcome with hunger goes from door to door for some food. According to his destiny, sometimes receives punishment and is driven out, and at other times receives a little food to eat. Similarly, the living entity, being influenced by so many desires, wanders in different species of life according to destiny. Sometimes he is high, sometimes he is low. Sometimes he goes to the heavenly planets, sometimes to hell, sometimes to the middle planets, and so on. The living entities are trying to counteract different miserable conditions pertaining to providence. Uh, wait, wait. Living entities are trying to counteract different miserable conditions pertaining to providence, other living entities, or the body and mind. Still, they must remain conditioned by the laws of nature despite all attempts to counter these laws. And, oh, next verse, yeah, that next verse. A man may carry a burden on his head, this is a wonderful, famous example, and when he feels it to be too heavy, he sometimes gives relief to his head by putting the burden on his shoulder. In this way, he tries to relieve himself of the burden, however, Whatever process he devises to counteract the burden does nothing more than put the same burden from one place to another. And Prabhupada writes that similarly, human society in the name of civilization is creating one kind of problem to avoid another kind of problem. In contemporary civilization, we see that there are many automobiles manufactured to carry us swiftly from one place to another. <coughs> but at the same time, we have created other problems. We have to construct so many roads, and yet these roads are insufficient to cope with automobile congestion and traffic jams. Anyone experience that in the D.C. area? What speak of in India? Um, there are also the problems of air pollution and fuel shortage. The conclusion is that the processes are manu we manufacture to counteract or minimize our distresses are not actually put, uh, do not actually put an end to our pains. They are all simply illusion. We simply place the burden from the head to the shoulder. So, yes, Prabhupada was writing about air pollution in the 1970s. So now I did a little research. Uh, so the number, the top 10 most polluted cities in the world, India has nine of them. No, nine, uh, 10 out of the top 11. Anyone know the worst? No, no, in, in India. The worst city. No. Delhi uh, doesn't, well, I guess if you consider Faridabad as kind of Delhi, then it's two. But number one was Kanpur. 
Yeah. And then Gaya, Varanasi, Patnam, Delhi is sixth, Lucknow, Agra, which is very close to Vrindavan, Gorgaon, and uh, I can't pronounce this so well, Muzaffarpur? Muzaffarpur? Yeah. So, yeah. And then China, out of the top 100, China has like the next 70. Just not, you know. So these two countries, which have what? A third of the world's population? More than that? 40% maybe? Are so polluted. And as you're saying, Prabhupada's writing about this in the 70s. Now, the fuel shortage, the big fuel shortage happened in 79, if I remember. Um, but, oh, also when I was, before I was devotee, probably, yeah. Um, 74, maybe also there was one, I think. But anyway, uh, I was just, so I did another research. It's hard, it's very hard to say, but the prediction is that we will run out of fossil fuel in 50 years. Especially because the, the need, anyone who's lived in India, for example, knows the difference between now the number of cars on the road and back in the 80s or 70s. It's great, there was, like I said, one car a day in Vrindavan. Now, Nitya traffic jam. Right? Well, right? Especially in front of the temple, just always. Right? Um, so Prabhupada was not exaggerating. And like, I, like I've pointed out many times, I just find it refreshing that things that we start taking for granted, Prabhupada kind of points out. Well, yeah, because like how many of us woke up and said, yeah, well, there's all these cars and we have to build all these roads and then there's all these potholes and then, you know, we're so happy that we got a new car and then we get in an accident, we're so distressed. Well, I, like I said, my car got stolen last week. So you were, you know, worry about that and call the insurance company and you know, auto insurance and oh, and previously, as Prabhupada would say, you know, someone just walked outside their door and they were at their office, <laughs> the fields, you know, to cultivate the crops or whatever. And still, we think we're we're, we're making a lot of progress, right? Isn't it? You have to have, you know, just think of all the things that you. That you, the things that you have to do just to keep things going in this world, right? You got to get the oil changed, but the, all the things about the car, and then, and then uh, the taxes, and and insurance, uh, you know, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Rent and mortgage, and uh, it just goes on. It's it's lucky we have any time to come here on a Sunday and talk about Krishna, because <laughs> because you can really get caught up in those things. So. I, I appreciated uh, Srila Prabhupada kind of uh, talking about contemporary civilization in that light. Any thoughts on this? Comments? Questions? Okay, should we move on then? Um, so the next section is 34 to 51, and this is Narada's description. This is, also, this is where he turns to the devotional service. So that starts in the next verse. Narada Muni continued, O oh, you who are free from all sinful activity, no one can counteract the effects of fruit of activity simply by manufacturing a different activity devoid of Krishna consciousness. All such activity is due to our ignorance. When we have a troublesome dream, we cannot relieve it with a troublesome hallucination. <laughs> what do you think about that? Isn't that pretty far? One can counteract a dream only by awakening. Awakening. Similarly, our material existence is due to our ignorance and illusion. Unless we awaken to Krishna consciousness, we cannot be relieved of such dreams. 
For the ultimate solution of all problems, we must awaken to Krishna consciousness. Text 35. Sometimes we suffer because we see a tiger in a dream or a snake in a vision. But actually there is neither a tiger nor a snake. Ever had that? That you're having such a dream that you're so happy when you wake up and you realize that it was a dream? I had that one of those maybe about two weeks ago. Oh, it was like such a relief to know that it was a dream. Thus we create some situation in a subtle form and suffer the consequences. These sufferings cannot be mitigated unless we awaken from our dream. The real interest of the living entity is to get out of the nescience that causes him to endure repeated birth and death. The only remedy is to surrender to the Supreme Personality of Godhead through his representative. Unless one renders devotional service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vasudev, one cannot possibly become completely detached from this material world, nor can he possibly man manifest real knowledge. Right? So this is this is you know important point, right? That um, what's that? Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Janiyat Yasuvai Ragyam Gyanam That renunciation is automatic. You don't have to suffer through it. If you have a higher taste in Krishna consciousness, you just won't be interested in other things. We talked about that before, the difference between vairagya and viraktir. Vairagya means kind of struggling to avoid the allurements of this world. And viraktir is natural indifference based on a higher taste. So there's a different way of looking at it. Different, yeah. So really, so here it says that unless one renders the bhakti, one cannot possibly become completely detached. Because, why is that? Any, any, I, could, I was going to ask a rhetorical question, but I'll actually ask you, why is it that bhakti is the only way to be completely detached? Okay, very good. What else? Yes? It's our natural propensity. Okay, very good. But what else is very good? <laughs> yes. It fulfills. It satisfies the soul. Very good. Also very good. I was also going to add, these are all good. You want to add? See if you read my mind? Krishna's in the center, okay. I was also going to say that it, this you'll, we learned to nectar devotion, it uproots the desire, right? These other things, it's kind of like uh, anyone here who has a house or a lawn, it's kind of like cutting the grass and just cutting the weeds. And they just come back, right? Whereas bhakti actually uproots the desire because of all the things you said. Yeah, the tendency. Because you have you've you've replaced the desire completely when you're pure devotee. We completely replace that desire, the desire to please Krishna. And then there's no room. Yes. Wait, wait, microphone. So that's why we read even if a most sinful person engages in bhakti, very quickly they elevate out out of yes. that and purify. Yes. Did someone else have their hand? Yes. Shakshi, go, wait, 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 wait. We want to hear your transcendental voice, Shakshi, go. Hi, Krishna Prabhu. 
uh, the bhakti also can uh, dissolve the subtle body. The, the subtle body is the body. base of desires, like yeah. we get the body. So. Very good. Prabhupada talks about how the holy name dissolves the subtle body. Yeah. Andy? Yeah. Give Just, us the final tattva. <laughs> well, it's also displacement, because like the Bible says, no man can serve two masters. You're probably going to be serving something. So if you're not serving Krishna, you're probably serving the demigods and hoping for reward. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the example we sometimes give, right, of, uh, of displacement, right? Um, I learned this from my Guru Maharaj, that, you know, usually most spiritual practices, even Vedic practices, is you, um, it's two steps. You let down your material desires, and then you pick up the spiritual. But bhakti is such that just by grabbing the spiritual, you automatically let go of the material. It's one step. Okay, so shall we continue? This is, we're on a roll. Text 38, this is still describing bhakti until text 41. O best of the kings, one who is faithful, who is always hearing the glories of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is always engaged in the culture of Krishna consciousness and in hearing of the Lord's activities, very soon becomes eligible to see the Supreme Personality of Godhead face to face now. That should be encouraging, shouldn't it? Right? Bhavami hicharaparta, right? Very soon. My dear king, in the place where pure devotees live, following the rules and regulations, and thus purely uh, conscious and engaged with great eagerness, that's actually the price to pay, that eagerness, uh, in hearing and chanting the glories of the Supreme Personality of God, in that place, if one gets a chance to hear their constant flow of nectar, which is exactly like the waves of a river, one will forget the necessities of life, namely hunger and thirst, and become immune to all kinds of fear, lamentation, and illusion. Well, this wasn't one we were, we were meant to read, but uh, I do like this. In the purport, Srila Prabhupada talks about... Oh, wait, was it something that makes... Was it on the list? 39... Um, Prabhupada talks about people coming together in a holy place like Vrindavan, hearing and chanting about Krishna. And then he says, cultivating Krishna consciousness in that way becomes very easy. Right? And then he says that you can, you can even rise beyond the bodily conception of life. So, I, that, that's a good test, isn't it, sometimes? If... Uh, you know, the class or whatever, the class is going so well, the kirtan's going so well that you don't want to stop and take prasadam <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> or check your email. Uh, right. But, uh, but, you know, that story is there of in the uh, New Vrindavan, was it 1969, I believe? Prabhupada was, uh, it was midnight on Janmastami, right? And the devotees were just ready to take prasadam. And Prabhupada said, well, let's read some Krishna book. And so they read one chapter, and all of the devotees said, Jai Srila Prabhupada! Meaning like, okay, it's all over, let's go eat. <laughs> and then next chapter. <laughs> uh, until all the devotees were kind of like... So Prabhupada had a taste that maybe we, didn't, we don't quite have. <laughs> so let's continue... Yes. Yeah. 
right? At least not uh, to the extent that we think. How long can you go without eating? 21 days. 21 days? How about long, how long you go without water? Yeah, it depends on how hot it is. Right? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, you can't go forever. But you can certainly, um, we've talked about that, that our body can perform more austerities than we think. Again, without doing something crazy and stuff like that. Right? But I think that, you know, I gave the example that um, I found, I don't do it now, but I found that uh, when I was doing near jalakadasi, the first two or three were really hard. And then after that, I practically didn't even think about it. It just became, the body got used to it. The body got used to it. Yeah. Okay, let's continue. Because the conditioned soul is always disturbed by the bodily necessities such as hunger and thirst, there's your Guru Das, there's your hunger and thirst again, he has very little time to cultivate attachment to hearing the nectarian words of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now, from 42 on to 51, Narada has successfully ended Prachini Barhisat's desire to perform Vedic rituals. The most powerful Lord Brahma, the father of all progenitors, Lord Shiva, Manu, Daksha, and other rulers of humankind, the four saintly first-class brahmacharis headed by Sanaka and Sanatana, the great sages Marichi, Atri, Angira, Pulas, Pulasya, Pulaha, Kratsu, Brighu, and Vashishta, and my humble self, Narada, are all stalwart Brahmins who can speak authoritatively on Vedic literature. We are very powerful because of austerities, meditation, and education. Nevertheless, even after inquiring about the Supreme Personality of Godhead, whom we always see, we do not know perfectly about Him. Despite the cultivation of Vedic knowledge, which is unlimited, and the worship of different demigods by the symptoms of Vedic mantras, demigod worship does not help one to understand the supreme powerful personality of Godhead. When a person is fully engaged in devotional service, he is favored by the Lord, who bestows his causeless mercy. At such a time, the awakened devotee gives up all material activities and ritualistic performances mentioned in the Vedas. My dear uh, Barhishman, you should never, out of ignorance, take to the Vedic rituals or the fruit of activity, which may be pleasing to hear about or which may appear to be the goal of self-interest. You should never take these to be the ultimate goal of life. I just want to make sure I'm following along here. Okay, 47. I know we're doing a lot of reading today because it's a big chapter. Those who are less intelligent accept the Vedic ritualistic ceremonies as all in all. They do not know that the purpose of the Vedas is to understand one's own home where the Supreme Personality of Godhead lives. Not being interested in their real home, they are illusioned and search after other homes. 49. My dear King, the entire world is covered with the sharp points of kusha grass and on the strength of this, you have become proud because you have killed various types of animals and sacrifices. Because of your foolishness, you do not know that devotional service is the only way one can please the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You cannot understand this fact. Your only activity should be those that can please the Personality of Godhead. Our education should be such 
that we can become elevated in Krishna consciousness. Sri Hari, the Supreme Personality of God, is a super soul and the guide of all living entities who have accepted material bodies within this world. He is the supreme controller of all materialistic activities and material nature. He is also our best friend, and everyone should take shelter of his lotus feet. In doing so, one's life will become auspicious. One who is engaged in devotional service has not the least fear in material existence. This is because the Supreme Personality of God is a super soul and friend of everyone. One who knows this secret, it's a secret, is actually educated. And one thus educated beca can become the spiritual master of the world. One who, is actually, one who is an actually bona fide spiritual master, representative of Krishna, is not different from Krishna. Meaning he should be respected as he doesn't become Krishna. We know that, right? The great Saint Narada continued. So this is uh, 52. So Narada uh, now is presenting another allegory. Uh, it's far briefer. It only takes about four or five verses. And he's, uh, but he's restating this point uh, about detachment. And it's interesting because we might, you might conclude that detachment is the goal of life, you know, if you take this section and no other sections. But we should remember that as much as Narada is telling uh, Prachini Bharisat to renounce everything and go to the forest, right, in a, in very shortly his sons, the Prachetas, are going to be uh, preached to by Vishnu to not renounce, to come back and run the kingdom. So it's not renunciation or in running kingdoms that's the goal. It's loving Krishna that's the goal. And so there's different, uh, what do we used to say? There's different shlokes for different folks. Right? And he was at a stage in his life where he should renounce. And his sons were at a different stage. They did their austerities. Now they should do their duty. Right. So the great sage continued, Oh, great personality, I have replied properly <coughs> about all that you have asked me. Now hear another narration that is accepted by saintly persons and is very confidential. And this is very heavy preaching, these next few verses. My dear king, please search out that deer who is engaged in eating grass in a very nice flower garden along with his wife. That deer is very much attached to his business and he is enjoying the sweet singing of the humblebees. Bumblebees, humble. <laughs> the humble, the bees, maybe they're also humble. <laughs> Bumblebees in his garden. Just try to understand his position. He is unaware that before him is a tiger, which is accustomed to living on the at the cost of another's flesh. Behind the deer is a hunter who is threatening to pierce him with sharp arrows. Thus, the deer's death is imminent. And here's the heavy part. Uh, my dear, if that, if that wasn't heavy enough. <laughs> my dear king, women who is, who is a very attractive in the beginning but at the end very disturbing is exactly like the flower, which is attractive in the beginning and detestable at the end. With, and by the way, we should remember that probably in other places that for man, woman, and for woman, man. So you can, if you're a woman, you can reverse it. Uh, 
With women, the living entity is entangled with lusty desires, and he enjoys sex just as one enjoys the aroma of a flower. He thus enjoys a life of sense gratification, from his tongue to his genitals, and in this way the living entity considers himself very happy in family life. United with his wife, he always remains absorbed in such thoughts. He feels great pleasure in hearing the talks of his wife and children, which are like the sweet humming of bumblebees that collect honey from flower to flower. He forgets that before him is time, which is taking away his lifespan with the passing of day and night. He does not see the gradual diminishing of his life, nor does he care about the superintendent of death, who is trying to kill him from behind. Just try to understand this. You are in a precarious position and are threatened from all sides. Now remember, this is a king who's, at the time of his life, should be thinking about renunciation. So it's very apropos uh, preaching. My dear king, just try to understand the allegorical position of the deer. Being fully conscious of yourself and give, uh, be fully conscious of yourself and give up the pleasures of hearing about promotion to heavenly planets by fruit of activity. Give up household life, which is full of sex, <coughs> as well as stories about such things and take shelter of the supreme personality of Godhead to the mercy of the liberated souls. In this way, please give up your attraction for material existence. So what a so he's really trying to get him detached from uh, his life there, right? So it's important to uh, so here he's saying get out, right? Just like who who else told someone to get out? Vidurta Dhritarashtra, right? He was eighty years. He was so old, and he was living at the expense of the people that killed his sons, and and you know take this, getting out means. Get absorbed in spiritual life. Go to a place where you can, go to an ashram or a place where you can get absorbed with the remaining of your life. Now we also know that Lord Chaitanya um, in his discussions with Ramananda Roy suggests to balance things, right? So they were, he, Lord Chaitanya, Ramananda Roy said, this is the goal of life, this is the goal of life. But then he did key in when he said, stay in your position. This is a general description. So not go to the forest. Stay in your position. But spend your time hearing and chanting about Krishna. And that's, so, that's, so that may be uh, a pr more apropos for most of us in, in, our, in our different stages of life that we're in right now. So, so the, uh, as we've spoken about many times, it's important to know uh, many contexts and otherwise, we could all say, okay, let's just, you know, head for the forest tomorrow. This is, he's speaking to Prachini Barisad, who was absorbed in fruit of activities, yet was pious enough to take shelter of Narada Muni. And so Narada Muni acted, you know, sometimes guru means heavy. Right? And, he, and he had to be um, in that situation. For us, that heaviness might be to pick up the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavatam and read it. Right? Instead of Bhagavad Gita as it is, let it stay on the shelf as it is but actually take it down and read it. And that can fulfill. So what's interesting, right? You can live in your home, you can have your mortgage and your car, and boat, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and still be um, following Narada Muni's instructions. Of course, this is Lord Brahma who spoke that verse. Tanesti Tashuti Gatam Tanamam. Tenth Canto, 14th chapter. 
of the Bhagavatam. So some thoughts on this? It's quite, but it's still quite an amazing... But it is our situation. Now, you know, we, you know, it is our situation that death is there for everyone. What is it? Durvam Janmam Ritasyucha? How does that verse begin? What's it? Jatasyahi Durvam Janmam Ritasyucha. That for one who is born, death is certain. And the other thing that most people don't get is that uh, for those who have died, birth is certain. And therefore, in the uh, unavoidable discharge of your duties, you should not lament, right? That's the, yeah. So any thoughts on this uh, incredible second allegory? Uh, I just have a thought. So only yesterday I was reading about Vidura's, how Vidura is getting Dhritarashtra to quit. Chapter 13 of the and first canto. Uh, yes. like it's very coincidental that I'm hearing the same yeah, thing. Again. I happen to know that chapter pretty well because, um, yeah, I taught it a number of times. Yeah, and I think we explain what's so cool about that chapter. Very interesting about that chapter. I brought it up before, is that. Um, well, let me see if I make sure I get this right. Vidura is speaking is speaking strong words to Dhritarashtra that he was being maintained by the Pandavas. Right, and that it's Maya to think that anyone is your maintainer other than Krishna. But then later in the chapter, when Yudhisthira is lamenting what happened, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be taking care of Dhritarashtra and Gandhari, and they're gone. Oh my God, I'm such a terrible person. Then Narada, same, our friend Narada, comes along again, and 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 turns the philosophy upside down and says, if you think that you're the maintainer, you're in Maya because only Krishna can be the maintainer. So. Krishna's the only one maintaining us, and Krishna's the only maintainer. So both very interesting juxtaposition in that chapter of Jitarastra being in Maya because he's thinking he's maintained, and Yudhisthira being in Maya because he thinks he's the maintainer. And the, the verse goes, uh, one who's in the jaws of the snake of death, how can they help someone else out of those jaws? That's what uh, Narada says to Yudhisthira. Bhagavatam is not like a joke, is it? <laughs> it can get very strong sometimes, but we should remember it's all leading up to the 10th canto and getting us in the right mindset to hear and chant about Krishna's Vrindavan pastimes and, and Dwarka. It's all preparing us along that path. Anything else on this? Yes. So that prayer verse that you mentioned uh, from Lord Brahma, Stane Stita, mm -hmm. uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he was doing his tour in the South India, um, he meets a Brahmana at Kurma Shetra, and he wants to renounce his family and come, go with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says the same verse, yeah. there's a stay in your position, but with your body, mind, and words, serve the Supreme Lord yes. Krishna. Yes. Thank you. Very good. Anything else? Okay. Let's continue then. Uh, what verse are we on? 56. And this, so this is a short section that, oh, this is here, Prachini Barahisat rejects um, fruit of activities and inquires from Narada Muni about the transmigration of the soul. So these next four verses are his inquiry. 
My, the king replied, My dear Brahmana, whatever you have said, I have heard with great attention and considering all of it, have come to the conclusion that the Acharjas who engaged me in food of activity did not know this confidential knowledge. If they were aware of it, why did they not explain it to me? My dear Brahmana, there are contradictions between your instructions and those of my spiritual teachers who engage me in food of activities. I now can understand the distinction between devotional service, bhakti, knowledge, can, and renunciation, tyag, right? Or, I had some doubts about them, but you have now very kindly dissipated all these doubts. I can now understand how even the great sages are bewildered by the, about the, perp by the per real purpose of life. Of course, there's no question of sense gratification. The results of whatever a living entity does in this life are enjoyed in the next life. The expert knowers of the Vedic conclusions say that one enjoys or suffers the results of his past activities. But practically it is seen that the body that performed the work in the last birth is already lost. So how is it possible to enjoy or suffer the reactions of that work in a different body? So that's his question. And now Narada Muni is going to talk about uh, transmigration of the soul um, from 60 to 69. How are we doing time-wise? Still 10 minutes? So Narada speaks. And let me just see if there's... This is uh, 60. Okay, we're going to speak on 63 and 64. Okay, cool. The great sage Narada continued. The living entity acts in a gross body in this life. This body is forced to act by the subtle body, composed by the mind, intelligence, and ego. That's pretty straightforward, right? Our, yeah, our mind very much dictates what we do. After the gross body is lost, the subtle body is still there to enjoy or suffer. Thus, there is no change. The living entity, while dreaming, gives up the actual living body. Though the activities of his mind and intelligence, he act, through the activities of his mind and intelligence, he acts in another body, either as a god or a dog. <laughs> Lowercase god. Yeah. After, that reminds me of the, uh, what was it? The dy dyslexic agnostic who wondered if there really was a dog. Bad joke. <laughs> After giving up his gr this gross body, the living entity enters either an animal body or a demigod's body on this planet or another planet. He thus enjoys the results of his, uh, his, the actions of his past life. The living entity labors under the bodily conception of I am this, I am that. My duty is this and therefore I shall do it. These are all mental impressions and all these activities are temporary. Nonetheless, by the grace of the Supreme Personality of God, the living entity gets a chance to execute all his mental concoctions. Thus he gets another body. One can understand the mental or conscious position of a living entity by the activities of two kinds of senses, the knowledge-acquiring senses and the executive senses. Similarly, by the mental condition or consciousness of a person, one can understand his position in the previous life. Now, this is a very interesting purport. There is an English proverb that says, the face is the index of the mind. You've heard that? The face is the index of the mind. If one is angry... His anger is immediately expressed in his face. Isn't it? It's hard to hide your anger when you're really... You know. 
Similarly, other mental states are reflected by the actions of the gross body. In other words, the activities of the gross body are reactions of the mental condition. Right? So even like if you, if you uh, I've been studying trauma recently, so a traumatic experience gets expressed also through the body. The mind's activities are thinking, feeling, and willing. The willing portion of the mind is manifest by the activities of the body. So we act. When we have a desire, it's strong enough, thinking, feeling, and willing, then we act. We're hungry, we go to the restaurant, right? Or to the, to the refrigerator, or whatever. <clears throat> the conclusion is that by the activities of the body and senses, we can understand the condition of the mind. The condition of the mind is affected by past activities in the past body. When the mind is joined with a particular sense, it immediately becomes manifest in a certain way. And then he gives these interesting examples. Jai Sisi Kornitai, Sita Ram Lakshman Hanuman, Shishi For instance, when there is anger in the mind, the tongue vibrates so many uh, maledictions. Right? We say things. Similarly, when the mind's anger is expressed through the hand, there is fighting. When it is expressed through the leg, there is kicking. There are so many ways in which the subtle activities of the mind are expressed through the various senses. The mind of a, the mind in of a person in Krishna consciousness also acts in a similar way. The tongue chants Hare Krishna, the Mahamantra. The hands are raised in ecstasy and the legs, and the legs dance in Krishna consciousness. These symptoms are technically called asta, satika, vikar. Satika, vikar is transformation of the mental condition in goodness or sometimes transcendental ecstasy. So, isn't that, I thought it was an interesting uh, description of the connection between the mind. You know, the, 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 you, there's a lot of uh, mind-body connections that, that people talk about today. And we understand that they certainly are connected. Right? You, you, you feel anxiety, you, your mind is, think, is anxious about something, you sometimes feel it in your gut. Right? And often, um, or what do they say, psychosomatic diseases that you can have, right? You, you, you bring it on because of the mind. And certainly, if one is anxious or angry, or stressed, it, it very much um, can manifest in the body. So the body-mind connection is there, even though the body will pass away, it will leave ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and the mind, intelligence, and ego accompany the soul into the next body. Some thoughts on this? Otherwise it continues in the next verse in an interesting way. The next verse says, sometimes we suddenly experience something that was never experienced in the present body by sight or hearing. Sometimes we see such things suddenly in dreams. And then the purport here says, in dreams, we sometimes see things that we have never experienced in the present body. Sometimes in dreams, we think we are flying in the sky, although we have no experience of flying. This means that once in a previous life, either as a demigod or astronaut, we flew in the sky. The impression is there in the stockpile of the mind, and it is suddenly expresses itself, itself. It is like fermentation that takes place in the depths of water, 
which sometimes manifests itself in bubbles on the water's surface. Sometimes we dream of coming to a place we have never known or experienced in this lifetime. But this is proof there is past life we experience this, right? So who's that famous uh, uh, professor? He passed away recently at University of Virginia that did all the studies on past life regressions? I am Stevenson. I, Stevenson, yeah. And he, you know, from a, quite a reputable university, University of Virginia. And he had hundreds and hundreds of cases of, you know, someone who's never been to a town and they take them to the town and they know everything about the town. They don't even speak the language they don't speak. lifetime, but they understand it. Yeah, so, um, yes. The impression is kept within the mind and sometimes becomes manifest either in a dream or in a thought. The conclusion is that the mind is the storehouse of various thoughts and experiences undergone during past lives. Thus, there is a chain of continuation from one life to another, from previous lives to this life, and from this life to future life. This is also sometimes proved by saying that a man is a born poet, a born scientist, a born devotee. Even Prabhupada said that about John Lennon, that he, but that he was a musician for many lifetimes because he was so obviously incredibly talented. Because Prabhupada was staying in his house and we could see that he could sometimes just pick up something and just start playing it. Even one time Prabhupada saw him, uh, or a devotee saw him chanting Hare Krishna playing on the piano at the same time. <clears throat> so the, the other instruction here is, so these sometimes are called samskars, right? Impressions in the mind. So we should be careful about what impressions we put in our mind now. Right? What are samskars? We expose our our eyes, our ears, our nose, or you know, et cetera. Especially our eyes and ears, too, because they make impressions that will have some dictation uh, in terms of future situations in our life. So we actually should be quite careful about what we choose to expose ourselves to, what we choose to hear about. Do we, you know, do we listen to MSNBC or Fox News or whatever, twenty-four-seven? Or do we, you know, uh, you know, or do we have an app on our phone, right? That uh, you just press. Where, oops, where is it? You just press one thing and. Instruction given by the supreme person. Right. You were the one who told me this. Okay. So, like that. <laughs> uh, what we? Whoops. So we <laughs> doesn't want to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So time time is up, right? We're over time, are we? Oh, sorry about that. So um, next week, I will send out. Does most of you are on the email list? I, uh, well, I know you are. Yeah, I will. I'm not sure if there's a, a class next week. We have a uh, program. Devotees are coming from around the country here. Just five or six of us, and I think there will be class because I'm not directly involved in that. I'm helping arrange it. Then, uh, just to give you preparation, 
the next weekend I'm in India, and actually pretty much for like the next four, three or four weeks, I come back on the 22nd, I believe. Uh, so there will be some vac some hiatus, some vacation from class, because I'll be in uh, India. Uh, I'll send it out on an email, but uh, let's let's assume that there will be class. I'm sorry I didn't last week, uh, Prabhuji. You came here and yeah. uh, it wasn't class. Um, so let's assume there will be class unless I send out an email otherwise. Like that. And then after that, there'll be at least three weeks where there won't be class. Okay? Thank you very much. Hare Krishna, all glories to Srila Prabhupada.